Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiad, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash What is up, Flip Upon Am I? Welcome to episode 92 of the Flipside Podcast. I'm laughing as I, if you're watching on YouTube, you see my bookshelf as my backdrop behind me. I think every episode it gets a little more disorganized, a little, (laughs) at one point all those books were in perfect order, none of them were flat and none of them were sideways. Someday I will reorganize, but you could probably tell a lot about my personality based on the state of my bookshelf. All right. Uh, you're just I'm just glad you can't see the floor in here. That's a beautiful thing. So I'm I'm playing hurt today. I'm sick. I'm sucking it on a cough drop as we speak. I swear if you uh, bought stock in cough drops or tissues, you are a wealthy person right now. Uh, I'm on day seven of, of being sick. I think I'm just gonna be sick forever for the rest of my life as far as uh, this uh, this nasty cold not going away. So, Forgive any uh, graveliness of the voice and and all those sorts of things. It's good to be with you. This is my first long-form episode of 2024, and here it is, February 1st, uh, the day I'm recording that. A couple of reasons for that. One, uh, over Christmas break, we went to Disney World. Uh, that and, and got back, you know, the first week of January, whenever that was. I got to tell you, I was running low on Noah's rant material. No, no longer am I running low. After <laughs> driving to Disney World with my wife and three daughters, I can just tell you that they had a magical time. Uh, they did. They had a magical time. There will be a Noah's rant coming. Uh, and it may be about Disney World. I was I was first thinking that Disney World might be a little too real. You know, Noah's rants they are about things that are jokes. They're things I'm not I'm not really ra- I'm not really upset about. They're just jokes. And, and the the Disney World one hit it's a little close to home. But I but I I think it is going to turn uh, into a rant. So stay tuned for that. I have been sick a lot as well. I've been sick three times just in the month of January. So that is pretty bizarre and strange. And I'll be a little vulnerable. Um, I'm a vulnerable person and tend to be vulnerable here on the podcast and everywhere else I go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at my pace of life. In the interview today with Ken Weitzma, uh, love the interview with Ken today. We'll talk about that here a little more. Uh, but just really, I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. Um, but I've been reflecting on my pace of life, and I just got to hear uh, Ruth Haley Barton speak at our denomination, um, Evangelical Covenant Conference called Midwinter. That was last week in Chicago. Ruth is one of my mentors. I got to do a two-year cohort with Ruth, and she has a great uh, recent book out on Sabbath called the Rith- I think it's called Rhythms of Work and Rest. Uh, but she talks about in the book, and she mentioned in her talk, you know, if you don't take a Sabbath, your body will take one for you. Your body will shut down, you know, and the Sabbath comes in the form of, she, you know, less pneumonia and illness and things like that. I do take a Sabbath. My Sabbath is on Monday. I'm very uh, disciplined in my Sabbath and blocking things out. Um, but I don't live a Sabbath sort of lifestyle. My My life is pretty fast paced, pretty hectic. And I'm really in the middle. And I've shared that with you before. Last spring, I took a sabbatical from the podcast to try to address some of that, to try to have some discernment in that area. And God revealed some stuff to me, some plans that I've, you know, I've tried to kind of try to um, reprioritize where I put some of my time. And I'm still in the midst of that. And so I share some of that to say, I think one of the reasons I'm getting sick so much is because of that sort of fast pace, the high, the high stress. It's like when it's not just how long you're running your engine, but when you're running it at a high RPM, um, 
the 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 high pressure you know times that you put it through that that does something i think i think that's starting to do something to me so i'm kind of back in that phase of yeah of reprioritizing i even got to chat with ken a little bit after um you know getting some advice on that so i'm in that reflective state right now so right now um how does that relate to the podcast? I'm going to keep doing the podcast. I do want to encourage you. Um, thank you to those that are Patreon supporters. For those that are not, um, I'm just going to ask that you'd consider it. I just did my taxes, so uh, I am not a detail person. I hate having to do my taxes at the end of the year, my portion of the taxes for our family. I basically just have to do you know, my my supplemental income stuff and just to be clear uh, I am I'm three quarters time at my church as far as my salary and uh, my goal is to go about half time at my church and uh, we to bring in a co-pastor and have shared leadership and and to share the responsibilities of pastoring a church because I have a lot of other things that I'm doing and responsible for and probably too many and I'm trying I'm trying to work I'm trying to work through that right now, um, but I am working on writing. Uh, the, the podcast is one of those things that relates to writing and have some writing projects that I am really, really, really excited about. Um, I have a devotional on the Psalms that is, um, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know for sure, but uh, it has a very good chance of getting published and it is raw and real and it has really helped me and I think I think it's gonna help a lot of people I have a teen edition of it's sort of a teen edition of beyond the battle that's ready to come out soon that, that I'm that I'm indie publishing self-publishing it's 60 pages uh, which is intentional a length that teens might read it's for guys and girls and it walks through um, sex and pornography and I've gotten really good feedback from teens on it, and I think it's going to really, really help a lot of people. And my my baby, my hobby, the thing that I get tons of joy out of uh, is a science fiction novel that I've been working on. And really, that's been fun. I mean, I don't, I mean, working on, like, I started it as a hobby because my brothers, um, my, my two older brothers, they encouraged me to have a hobby, and that was it. And I've just really, 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 really liked writing that book. And I'm going to try to get it published. Um, all that to say, I'm asking for your support. I'm, I'm just asking that you might consider to becoming a Patreon supporter, which will allow me to keep doing the podcast. And to, um, when, when I was doing my taxes, my point was I realized my income, my expenses for this supplemental stuff, I'm not making enough to justify the energy and effort that I'm putting into it where I'm, I'm literally sick because I'm wearing my body down, you know, to that point, along with the other things that I'm doing. So uh, what I'm trying to do is make these uh, be more like a job, you know, to be more like a job and to have a space in my life for them. It's part of my income, part of my, my primary income. It's not just bonus, you know, on top, but I, I want to be half time at my church. And that way I can, I can then really commit half of my time to doing this instead of trying to do more than one. Uh, you know, if you do the fractions, uh, you can't just keep adding time onto, um, onto what would be already a full-time job. So patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak. We were at 15. Remember, I did the handlebar mustache to celebrate. That was a big deal. I did it for a week. I preached in it. And then I set a goal for 25. Well, we have regressed. Uh, the flip side has regressed. So we're down to 12, uh, which is okay. I, I celebrate. I thank you. Uh, we're down to 12. But So if you want to join the team, please do. I am going to actually uh, – I have some currently some interviews lined up for the next uh, month or two. But after that, I'm going to do one episode a month. I think right now with what I'm bringing in on Patreon – uh, and with the, the time and energy that I have, that's where I'm going to be is one episode a month rather than the two that I've been or more that I've been trying to put out per month. I'll still be doing uh, five minute flips as the Lord puts things on my heart. Those are quick and easy. Uh, and I will still be doing Noah's rants periodically as well. Uh, but one long form episode a month will be kind of the current pace for the level of Patreon support that is there to sort of um, 
make this something sustainable that I can do. And my goal, let, let's say if we got to 25 patrons, again, it depends on how much each person is doing. Shout out. I won't mention uh, name, but you know who you are. Uh, one of my patrons just doubled their support today. So I also really appreciate that. And that goes a long way. But if we can get up to 25, um, you know, that, that'll that allow me to, again, it's, it's about re-allotting the hours uh, and my responsibilities to be able to do this and to invest in this more uh, at a pace where it's part of my, you know, part of my vocation. So thanks for hanging in there with me. I do feel like we're in a community. I, I, I want to be vulnerable with that. And with that, let's, let's get to our, our interview with Ken. Uh, I've known Ken for a long time. Ken and I went on a vision trip to Haiti, uh, not together. I mean, I met him there. I, I went independently um, supporting World Relief, which is a great organization. Check out worldrelief.org. I still support them to this day. They're wonderful. Uh, and that's where I met Ken. He was another pastor on the trip, and we became friends. Ken uh, was also, as I mentioned, the first person that I ever interviewed uh, on a podcast that back in 2015. I need, oh, shout out. I was just about to have a coughing fit. Hold on a second. And I need to get a drink. And and I almost forgot to mention I'm crushing Chris's blend today. Shout out to Angry Brew and Five Lakes for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Chris's blend is a medium roast. And a dollar of your purchase uh, goes to an orphanage in Honduras that Five Lakes supports. So uh, go to fivelakes.com, order a bag of Chris's Blend Angry Brew, use promo code FLIP, and you will get 10% off your order. And in doing so, you are also supporting the flip side. So thank you so much, uh, Chris's Blend and Angry Brew. All right, so um, jumping into this conversation with Ken, he was the first person I ever interviewed like I was saying, back on March the 3rd, 2015. And uh, just a great guy. He, he gives a lot of wisdom here. He talks about some chronic health issues that came upon him um, after we met Ken. Let me read you his bio. Ken is a pastor, entrepreneur, and thought leader. He's the founder of the Justice Conference, and he is the author of Pursuing Justice, The Grand Paradox, Create versus Copy, Redeeming How We Talk, The Myth of Equality, which was named as one of the top five religion books of 2017 by the Publishers Weekly. Uh, Ken lives in Newburgh, Oregon, with his wife, Tamara, and their four daughters. Um, Ken's story arc, I really appreciate his humility and his, his vulnerability to share. Um, really high-performing, high-achieving guy um, running the... Uh, I'm... I'm <laughs> Sorry, I'm cleaning my shirt off here as I sit here. Um, he, he, he's running the Justice Conference, uh, Kilns College. He's a church planner, Antioch Church in Bend, Oregon. The church is booming, very large church plant. He's publishing books left and right. And then he gets uh, diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease and really has to slow down his pace of life. And his pace of life is very different now. Um, he's still pastoring, but at a much smaller scale and a much smaller pace. And uh, just really thankful for his wisdom, uh, both in what he shared uh, in the interview, as well as getting to chat a bit after. So uh, with that, let's jump in uh, to this conversation. I think it's something that's really going to encourage uh, a lot of people. And here we go. Ken Weitzma. All right, all right. Well, welcome to the Flipside Podcast, Ken Weitzma. Great to have you. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. So, Ken, I don't know if you realize this. You've walked around now for well since 2015. I can't do the math. It was eight years ago. You nine years ago. See, I couldn't do the math. You, you were my first ever podcast interview that I ever did in my entire life. March third. 2015 no way didn't and know here you are you're yeah. back <laughs> yeah you've been podcasting uh since since they birthed podcasts since they birthed podcasting <laughs> yes my follower numbers wouldn't show that 
but I have changed podcasts like five times. I think I need to talk to like my psychologist about that. That I'm yeah. on my you're, fifth you're podcast. A, you're a serial podcaster. I have the same wife, so that's good. Um, I am, I think, on my fifth podcast. But yes, if listeners want, they can go back in the archive. I'm too embarrassed to listen to it. I can't, but it is on this feed. I kept all those episodes. You yeah. can go back to number. It's like the first comic book. If you had like the first, you know, Spider-Man comic, it'd be worth a lot. Well, that conversation. Well, I'd, I I'd probably be embarrassed book. if I listened to it too. So <laughs> we probably both would be embarrassed. <laughs> yep. But I. But it's there. It's out there. So, um. Can you catch us up, me up, uh, listeners up, catch us up on what you were doing back in 2015 or thereabouts and or, you know, just the years leading up to that, um, what life looked like then, what ministry looked like then uh, versus now, 2024? Yeah, 2015. Um, That's a long time ago. My kids were a lot younger. Uh, we've got four daughters, right? So uh, two have graduated college. One just started college. One just started high school. So yeah, first thing that would be different would be uh, the size of the kids. But yeah, 2015, I had uh, stepped out of uh, leading the the Justice Conference, but it was it was continuing on with World Relief, uh, with with gatherings in Chicago, and then kind of the international uh, extensions of that. Um, was doing Kilns College and loving that uh, grad school for international students, and then pastoring in uh, Bend, Oregon, uh, at the church we planted there. My wife and I planted called Antioch, and uh, yeah, I mean, you and I had connected the first time we met was after the Haiti earthquake, mm-hmm. uh, going with World Relief down to to Haiti, um, and I'm sure we can get into it a little bit more, but uh, that trip actually. It kind of began a chronic, uh, uh, yeah, chronic health issue uh, season in my life. Uh, I picked up some some bugs because again, right after the you know the earthquake, sanitation was really bad, and uh, I must have come away with some parasites. And then uh, two years of drugs uh, to get rid of that uh, triggered Crohn's disease. Mm. So in 2015, I was uh, dealing with being chronically ill. Um, but not diagnosed with the Crohn's yet. It wouldn't be diagnosed until 2020. Um, but anyone that knew me in 2015 would have would have known uh, how high maintenance I was with regard to food, with everything else. Uh, and and I think that was a season of my life when I was still struggling, trying to run as fast as I had tried to run in my my 20s and 30s. Uh, but with my body slowly breaking down underneath me, and so. I think I was really feeling that tension. Um, and that's also probably when um, some of the significant sleep issues in my life began. Uh, and and was also doing a, a good bit of international travel. So um, the beginning of Ambien, which is kind of its own chapter in my life uh, that I had to go to recovery for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, um, chronic illness, autoimmune, uh, and how that affects sleep um, and what you do to try to, to get through the night, um, kind of quite a journey. I was also beginning to write a book on, uh, race in America, history, theology of race in America, uh, that came out in 2017, uh, called the myth of equality. Uh, but in 2015 is kind of when that chapter began. Uh, and that, that became a pretty significant, uh, piece of my story and just, um, getting to experience, how justice was something most evangelicals could jump to. Um, but as soon as you switched and started talking about race, mm. uh, all of a sudden it got very different. Uh, yeah. And the phrase white fragility, right, is probably the thing that captures it best. Um, but but getting to experience that um, in my ministry, people leaving my church, uh, in my, my life with people just uh, – on online and through email oh. coming at me. So yeah, uh, was a was an interesting chapter, but yeah, a lot was going on in 2015. A lot of that is different now. So dude, yeah, there's like five questions that I already have written out that you touched on. And so thank you for sharing, by the way, man. Um yeah, just thank thanks for thanks for being vulnerable with your story. Um 
So I'm going to come back and touch on a lot of that stuff. Uh, l- let's go back to, I want to talk about some identity first. And, I, sure. and most of these questions that I have for you, Ken, um, I have a friend that struggles with a lot of things, and I'm just going to ask some questions on behalf of that friend. Okay, that, f- that friend is possibly host a podcast um, and is a church planter um, <laughs> and a wannabe author. Um, so, okay. All right. Um, Justice Conference is going on. Now that's, I think uh, I met you, 2010 was the earthquake, I think. Am I remembering that right? We went on a trip, vision trip, um, right after that or right before? I think yeah, it was, it was like a week or two after the earthquake. or to, It was pretty pretty quick in there, but it, I think it was beginning of 2010. Dude, I, I thought I, March, I went to, I've, I've been in two Haiti trips. I thought one yeah. was before the earthquake and one was after. It doesn't matter. I don't remember if I met you before or after the justice. It would have been after the justice conference. No, no, I'm sorry. I met you in Haiti first on yeah. the vision strip. And then later uh, came the justice conference. And, and I started going to the justice conference because you were leading it. And, and, you know, it was just a good way to, to stay connected and things. Um, so you're leading the justice conference back then. I don't know what's up with the justice conference now. It feels like it's not around anymore, or maybe it is in like small iterations, but back then this was a huge conference. I went, uh, to the one in Philadelphia and I went to the one in Chicago and then we hosted a simulcast for one of the other ones. Um, and I want to say at one of these, you had like 5,000 people or something like that. Like it was this, this massive conference. You had really big names coming in to speak, speak, you were speaking, you were publishing books, you know, um, on the regular, uh, pursuing justice had come out right kind of with the justice conference. Um, I'm just going to be real. Like I struggle in the area of my identity and I've got one book out um, beyond the battle was Zondervan. And just like that whole trip was, was a trip for my identity and I'm in the process now of trying to publish some other books. And it's like, it's a real struggle in, yeah. in my soul of, of where do I find my sense of, you know, value and worth from. And, and, I, and, and I wrestle with those things. What I, what I'm wondering is how did you kind of manage your sense of identity back then years in your self-worth uh, versus, you know, like where are you finding your worth in um, versus like when you look back on it now, you're in a very different season now it feels like all right yeah. as far as um in ministry and your health when you look back on it is there i don't know is there anything you'd want to say um to the um the ken from from that era i don't know good or bad yeah i don't know um <clears throat> identity is an interesting thing and it's it's easy you know psychologists call it flow um but when you're when you're in the flow when uh, I grew up skiing, so it's almost like slalom skiing. Like when when the rhythm is just there, you know, and and you're in the flow, um, it's pretty easy to be grounded and to feel grounded, and to also take for granted things that are going on um, mm-hmm. because it's just flowing, right? And so I think back then uh, there was a lot of things going on. My health was not good, but a lot of other things were just flowing. Um, the book thing, I'd always wanted to write books. Uh, I had an author manager who was 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 kind of tops in the field, but um, he kept asking for a book proposal and I just wouldn't give him one. So you know when I began, it was a, a real prayer thing and until God gave me the green light, I wasn't I wasn't gonna put a proposal together. So you know at one point he said to me, you're the only author I've got on my register that I'm begging to to give me a proposal. you you just, you know, most people are dying to turn in their proposals. And so it was kind of, it was kind of cool to see God's timing that um, when I finally did turn in the proposal, it, it did hit the justice conference at the right time. Um, and, and I was able to do a book that I don't think I, I would have done if I was rushing it. Um, if I was kind of on my own time frame uh, prior to that, Uh and so it felt it felt good, and it was a win. But I'm also doing a book proposal right now on sleep, mm. <laughs> kind of theology of sleep, and uh, and I'm I'm right back at at square one, right? I got rid of my Facebook years ago. Uh, I deactivated it, and then I couldn't figure out how to reactivate it. Mm-hmm. But it's gone now, uh, and I'm you know I'm not on social media, and so uh, you've experienced it. I know you have, but the economics beh- beh- that drive these different things are, 
they they're attached to platform and sales. They're not attached to totally. Uh, they're not attached to oftentimes not attached to quality even. Uh, and yeah. so, so it gives you the sense of inferiority that my ideas aren't that valuable because my social media uh, isn't at an influencer level. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's a, it's an industry. So Christian publishing is an industry that's under duress. Uh, if you think of Christian music, um, that whole genre just disappeared a number of years ago. Like it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, Christian publishing is in a slower way going through that decline. Um, and you can go to your local Barnes and Noble and, and see how much smaller that, that section has gotten. Um, and so those publishers are really asking questions about what are the sales going to be? What's the return on investment? And the big driver for that is platform. And, uh, and so it does make you a, a little, it does create a weird tension, I think, uh, to be a, a Christ follower, to be a Christian, to, to try to go, what does it mean to live into my calling? And then at the same time, have this pressure to almost as a mercenary, not because you love social media, not because you love becoming an influencer, but almost being forced into this promotional, self-promotional sure. uh, kind of realm. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's you, you go through a lot of interesting things, I think, um, back then um, and even now. Uh, but yeah, from an identity standpoint, uh, I thought I'd reached, it was around that time at a Thanksgiving that uh, we were going around and everyone was sharing what they were thankful for. And I just said, I've done everything I wanted to do in life. It might have been that 2015, actually. Hmm. Um, if You know, I could go now and I'd be happy, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, and I meant it. It was just kind of this like, I've, you know, whatever was on my bucket list, I've done it. Um, and I feel like I've, I've accomplished what God, you know, called me to do. And it was such a weird thing that my wife pulled me aside afterwards and asked if, if, if the doctor had called me uh, and she meant it. She's like, is there something I don't know? Like, are you yeah. on the way out? Um, and so it was kind of a Zenith point for me right around then. And then over the next couple of years, I, I came off that Zenith point. Right. And, um, and all of a sudden I wasn't in, in the flow um, and things were more challenging and, mm -hmm. Uh, and I think as I'm reflecting on it now, uh, I think God wanted to take me through another chapter of learning. You know, my first yeah. chapter of learning was, you know, coming out of the fraternity at Clemson, um, reading the Bible, really wrestling with theology, scripture, and then going into ministry. It was seminary, but that kind of learning curve. Um, but in 2015, I didn't understand trauma. I didn't know what anxiety was. I'd never felt depression. I thought those were just choices or adjectives that, that people threw around. Um, I, I didn't know what chronic pain was. I didn't know what yeah. chronic illness was. I didn't know what sleeplessness and insomnia were. Uh, I didn't know what dependency was. Um, I didn't know. Like there's, there's so many things that I think as a pastor, you're supposed to help people through. Mm that I was completely ignorant to. And so I was, I was good maybe at teaching or I was good maybe at speaking or I was good at visionizing and kind of ideation and leading in that way. But I look back now and I go as a pastor, so many of the things that hurting people would actually need me to understand or to empathize with, I, I literally had no framework for. And so mm -hmm. I think God took me on, you know, whatever the last 10 years is journey to, to break me down and teach me things that have so much more to do with the human story uh, and the human condition and the brokenness of the world, brokenness of our bodies. Uh, and so now when I interact with people, it's, it's different. Like I can see the trauma in them. I can see what that's doing. I can see the anxiety. I can see um, some of those struggles and I know what it feels like. And so- yeah. So I'd say that's a big difference and it's a lot harder for me to find my identity in weakness than it was to find my identity in strength or when things mm. were flowing. So, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's real, man. Thank you. Um, 
I wanted to ask you a question about chronic pain. Um, my wife suffers with a variety of, um, I would call them like minor chronic pains that are all, they all pile up to be pretty significant. Um, and I have a couple other friends, you know, who do as well. And I think, um, you know, in our own that do podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have chronic. I have a, I, I've been sick for seven days and it feels like I going to be the rest of my life, but that's a whole other story. I'm like, uh, I, I've been sick three times this month and I'm like, this is cause I, I'm doing way too much stuff and I'm not resting, but uh, no, this wife, is not for that. Your wife is a, is a school teacher and brings home a lot of germs. That is also <laughs> very true. She, she teaches like 500 elementary school kids cause she's a music teacher. So she gets every germ that yep. exists. That is very true. Um, that's so funny. No, this, uh, I do not have chronic pain yet. Um, but my wife does. And so we wrestle with that in our prayer life, you know? Um, and as, and as a pastor, I wrestle with it as I try to walk with people, right. That have chronic pain. And I think a lot of people don't understand chronic pain. Like people that don't have it, don't understand it. Um, you pray, you know, God take this away and it doesn't go away. Um, and it, it's not maybe an obvious, uh, not to, not to diminish those that have obvious, maybe, um, you know, disabilities or something. Um, but it's, it can feel like it's something you're carrying that yeah. nobody else knows about, you know, you're carrying it pretty, it can be pretty isolating, pretty, I'm just wondering what that you've touched on it some and thank you. But, um, what has that journey been like for you, like in your prayer life and your walk with God, you know, you've prayed that God would take this away and he hasn't. And just what do you do with that? Like, how does it shape your theology of prayer, theology of suffering, which I think we do really poor at, you know, in the West, um, in our theology, right? Just what is that? How has that shaped you? And maybe what would you say to those listening who are struggling, you know, with chronic pain and, and all the ways that that connects to their faith and, and relationship to God? Yeah, it's interesting you say uh, theology of suffering because in pursuing justice, I have a whole chapter on theology mm -hmm. of suffering. Yeah, and I think you know, I was talking about it, and you know, pastors right. learn the most by teaching, right? Like it seems like if we're going to teach something, God makes us learn it on that yeah, that dude. Sunday that week. So yeah, maybe maybe God put me into some some suffering so that I would actually understand a theology of suffering. Um, yeah, I would say my two biggest theological insights that aren't kapow, they're not um, earth shattering, but, but that I've kind of deeply come uh, to wrestle with and, and, and try to wrap my mind around is one that uh, everybody in America is all, I believe all Christians, I'm going to say it just in the extreme, um, nothing's hundred percent zero, but uh, Christianity in America is hopefully, hopelessly tangled up with the prosperity gospel. Mm. Um, and we don't know it. Right. And so the reason we don't know it is there's the prosperity gospel where where pastors have gold toilet seats, fly around in jets and ask for money all the time. Um, and so it's easy to point at that and go, that's the prosperity gospel. I'm not that. Um, but Christianity America is has this fallacy that that if we're following God, things are going to get um, better, 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 better. Um, that if we are obedient, we're going to be blessed, 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 blessed. Uh, and, and, and that kind of marries to our idea of the American dream, uh, that, that everything is going to go from bad to better. Um, if, if we're following God, if we're doing the right things <clears throat> and that's a prosperity gospel, it's, you know, uh, prosperity is going to come to me because I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus and, and it's a uh, heresy, right? Like yeah. Jesus promised suffering. I mean, I mean, we don't need to go any further than that, but we can. I mean, um, Moses suffered, Job suffered, Paul suffered, you know, and yeah. talked about sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Um, everyone's going to die and we're going to die by, you know, either, you know, chronic illness that, that slowly builds up and we deal with all the pain along the way or a cancer that comes and ravages our body. But there is no idea of this infinite um, better, better, better. It's It's just a complete fallacy. But yet we... I don't think if we saw it in writing that we might agree with it, but internally yeah. that's what we're patterned to think and feel. Uh, and so I, 
I think, and I think pastors believe it because we're kind of at the forefront of faith. You know, we're, we're it's our business and we've made it our, our calling and our career. We've given our life to it. And so I think the temptation is even more so there. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in scripture, it says, you know, double blessing to, to those, those that have more shall be given. And so I think, I think pastors almost buy into the lie more than uh, your regular, regular person uh, in the congregation. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I've begun to really try to untangle how much I was uh, living a lie theologically, mm. uh, that I was entitled to yeah. blessing upon blessing. Um, and that goes with the second kind of theological thing. And that's that I always preached about waiting on the Lord. I mean, it's such a part of the Old Testament theology, this idea of yeah. waiting on the Lord, um, which implies that there's going to be long seasons where God is silent, where God is hidden, where God's not speaking because it's not the right time yet. Um, we think every time we go to talk to God, he should be giving us answers uh, and resolving our problems. And God goes, no, this problem is going to resolve in three years in a totally different way. There's nothing I can talk to you about with regard to that right now. All you get is me. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Job, right? Job goes to to God, he doesn't get any answers. What he gets is God's presence. Uh, Eleanor Stump, famous uh, female theologian, um, talks about the argument from the uh, second person argument uh, in terms of theodicy uh, for the theologically defending the goodness of God. Uh, and she uses Job and says, Job didn't get third person answers. Here's what's going on. Here's how it's going to change. He didn't get first person fix. God didn't change his scenario. What he got was second person um, that that God showed up and, and had a conversation with him. And Job said, that's enough. That's enough for me. If you're on duty, God, if you know what's going on, if you were here before the creation of the world, uh, I'm okay. So let me backtrack now and I'll, I'll go ahead and wait. You know, and, and so she calls that the second person argument. Um, theodicy. And I think I've been having to learn that. And it's hard when you preach something and you know it intellectually, third person, um, but you don't really have a first person practice of it. Yeah. And then you find yourself going through that desert season uh, and you can name it even, oh, this is that dark night of the soul. This is that desert season. This is when God's hidden and then like a child, you know, spazzing out and going, I don't like this. I don't want this. Yeah. I'm, I'm mad. You know, I'm going to kick and I'm going to scream and I'm going to stomp my foot because I already knew about the hiddenness of God or the, you know, the the silence of God. I, I didn't want to have to experience it. Um, but until we experience it, we don't actually know it. Right. Hmm. And I think pastors can sometimes blur the lines between our intellectual uh, grasp of a subject uh, and our ability to, to uh, exposit it yeah. versus like I've actually gone through it and learned the difficult lessons that it has to teach. I know what it feels like by experience, by acquaintance. In philosophy, we'd call it knowledge by acquaintance. Um, and so those two things I think are things I've learned is, is that I have to backtrack from a heroic faith that if I run headlong into following God, everyone's going to love me. (laughs) Um, Everyone's going to respect me. Everyone's going to be on my team. Everyone's going to fight, you know, alongside me. And then secondly, that, um, that I'll be able to avoid some of the more painful parts of a life lived by faith. Um, I'll be able to avoid some of what the prophets went through. Um, I don't know why we would think we could avoid that, but mm. but I think somehow we think um, maybe that we can or should. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just wrestling with those again, not novel theological things, but uh, but novel in the sense that um, experiencing them in the first person, knowledge by acquaintance, um, and trying to parse out, you know, what are the new, what are the facets that I've learned that are for me. 
And what are the facets that I've learned that now need to, to kind of show up in my ministry that are for other people? Yeah. Oh, that's significant. I appreciate you sharing that. And I definitely agree on the prosperity message that we've, we've bought into. I know, um, growing up, just learning about prayer, you know, and it, it seems like simplistic, you know, that you would pray these things and God would help you. And you can find some, some verses, some, there's some confusing verses on prayer in the new Testament, you know, ask and it'll be given to you, you know, just things that are, that are, that are, and there's, and there's others, you know, have faith that this mountain will move. Um, yeah, but you look at the actual suffering of people in the old and new Testament, and it's, it's really, really significant that it's there. Um, I really love the Psalms because they, they don't, the Psalms just kind of cry out to God in the midst of suffering. And, um, it just feels like our American Western, not just our theology of prayer, but I've thought about our worship music, um, and I'm not knocking worship music. I just think we've, unlike the Psalms, the Psalms lament suffering. Uh, uh, they they lament both corporate suffering and individual suffering. You know, they, they're just real about it. They're real about injustice. They're real about oppression. They're real about pain. And and it feels like we in, in, in the American church, we're trying to sell a product. Like we want to sell you Jesus and... We have to make him sound as good as we can. So we're not going to, we're not going to act like that stuff's part of the deal. But man, as I get older and as I do more and more ministry and I have friends who leave their faith, you know, friends whose faith has just shattered, um, not every time, but it's often because of suffering. It's often because they, they had a faith that said, God would never let this happen, you know, to you or if you have faith and then that, that thing happened. And now, yeah. well, that must mean God's gone. He doesn't love me. Yeah. And uh, my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy for that. And, and, and I feel like, and you might be able to speak to this better than me with you, you, you worked much more extensively with world relief, but around the world, global theology, I, I feel like most, most other cultures around the world have a much stronger theology of suffering because they've had to experience it and they've had to reconcile that with God's love and his mercy and his goodness. And, and so they're able to have a strong faith in the midst of suffering. Whereas we don't because, because we, we haven't, we haven't had that as a part of our, a part of our theology. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things going on here, but I used to say, um, if you if you accept Jesus thinking that suffering isn't a part of the problem or a part of the the formula or the equation or, or the the transaction um very much in this revival sense I'm going to come forward I'm going to pray a prayer I yeah. get to receive Jesus and that's that and then I get these promises of blessing so now I've gotten Jesus and then I go forward 5 years 10 years and then all of a sudden my life falls apart it's like wait a second what what went wrong? Um, is this God piece that I put into my life broken? Like, you know, shake it? Like, did it break? Mm -hmm. Why am I experiencing this suffering? And the next thing you know, and I'm not knocking yoga or, or whatever, um, I practice mindfulness, uh, meditation, et cetera. But you, you then go on a quest and go, what can I find that will actually speak to my suffering? Um, whereas, you know, I've been in... Uh, certain places in the world that they're coming out of, you know, I'm thinking of Burundi right now, but when I was in Burundi coming out of a decade of civil war and, and the Rwandan genocide kind of spilling into that area of Congo and Burundi uh, in, in East Africa, there, central East Africa. Uh, and people that were Christians, they became Christians in suffering. Um, mm. So when suffering continued or or happened anew it wasn't novel like it, and it didn't it didn't challenge the faith it's like they had learned from day one that that god hears the cry of the oppressed yeah and so when you're feeling that oppression that suffering the the natural thing to do is to cry out to a god who hears and so they don't ever take it and go is this thing broken do i need to replace it with something else um and i i think that Areas of suffering are like that. I also think cultures that aren't as individualistic. So 
thinking of South Korea here, mm. um, more communal, uh, more about the collective, uh, understand duty a little bit differently, um, that their faith is not looking for um, God to just give, 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 but much more of a mm. submission to and a reverence for and in a discipline, uh, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to pray um, and and living long lives that that don't have prosperity in them, but to be able to give to kids or to honor God or to whatever. And what it all really highlights is how individualism really has taken root in the American church. Yeah. Individualism slash pragmatism they're different things, but those two things, individualism and prag pragmatism, are, are the two unique things that America, uh, American philosophy gave to the world of philosophy. Everything else came from, you know, the old world or other countries, uh, they call it continental philosophy, et cetera. Um, so most of what we know philosophically, those ideas came from outside the U.S., but individualism, pragmatism, um, came up through our Declaration of Independence, kind of our sense of um, revolution, um, the emphasis on the people. But then really, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thoreau, and, and kind of onward. Uh, and so when you when you look at revivalism, it it's all about the individual, and it's all about kind of that transaction, and it's all about um, optimizing our system of of conversion and and so all of these things begin to spin around uh our sense of me as the locus um so in the grand the grand paradox i wrote a, a whole chapter on this but we were just talking about a, a, around the dinner table last week my wife uh tamara was doing a panel uh at her where she works at george fox university uh and it was going to be on calling and and what we've always said is uh, that the big mistake is that we American Christians are taught to ask, what is God's will for my life? Um, when the question should be, what is God's will and how do I serve it with my life? Um, so the first is it's all about me. Yeah, right. And I'm looking and I'm looking for a plan and I'm and I'm also screening to see. <laughs> because the plan needs to be good and fit my idea of what my life should look like. But mm -hmm. it really is about me and, and who am I going to marry and where am I going to make my money and how am I going to get my success and my fame? It's kind of like that book thing you were talking about. Where's my identity? And I'm dependent on God to, to give me a plan. And if I don't like the plan, hit the reset scramble button, maybe he'll give me a different plan. Mm. And, and that means that God would have 8 billion different wills for all the people in the world going every which direction, which is why we get uh, people praying that the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl and other people <laughs> the 49ers. You know what I mean? Like we begin yeah. to create these scenarios where God would have to be divided against himself. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. God has one will, you know, just like you and I have one grid for how we see reality. Mm -hmm. God has one will and he's invited us alongside him to serve, to follow, to submit to, to enjoy uh, that will that he has. And so the question isn't, what is God's will for my life, for my life, but what is God's will, period, and how do I serve it with my life? And so I think theology of suffering, I think other cultures can begin to show us just how much we lean towards the individualistic side, and that can become a corrective yeah, uh, and hopefully help us go. Yeah, maybe I am seeing God from a certain locale, cultural locale, and there's other ways to perceive God, and and maybe those are a bit of a corrective to uh, to how I'm coming uh, to the Lord. So, I mean, there's a lot of implications to that, but I'll I'll pause there and, and yeah, we can continue or go a different direction. Yeah, dude. Well, I live in Detroit Lions country and um, yeah, God um, obviously let you down. God let a lot of people down here. So that's a little sensitive. A lot of people's theology has been shattered. Um, yep. But, you know, it's so that's a, that's a touchy subject. God, um, God is trying to teach you not to gamble with fourth down. 
<laughs> Every time I laugh, too, I too start, soon, too soon. I start coughing because of this cold. I can't laugh. That's a, yeah. I'm gonna get yeah. It's too soon for some of these listeners. They they're done now. They're not going to listen to the rest of this. Um, I, I was rooting for the Lions, just so you know. Man, the whole world was. Jesus yeah. was rooting for the Lions, and they still found a way to lose. So, um, all right, a couple more questions. Um, and uh, one, uh, this was one I struggle with. I think your average Joe struggles with this. Um, just compassion fatigue. Like you've done a ton you know, in your, your life, in your ministry, when it comes to these different causes. And there's so many causes out there. I remember feeling that at the justice conference, you yeah. see booth after booth after booth, and it was this cause and this cause in this part of the world and this part of the world, you know, and then there's like this type of injustice and that type of injustice. And it really can feel overwhelming. And then when guys, you know, like me or you get up and say in a church, you know, you need to care about justice. Um, I can see why people become apathetic. I mean, I think we're naturally drawn to be apathetic and selfish and just like live for ourselves. But I also understand that you go, okay, I, I want to care, but I can only give money to like so many causes. What am I supposed to do with my time? And if I watch, you know, the news or something, I'm just constantly getting, and these are legitimate things. I'm not, I'm one of my, and my heart breaks for like every single one of them. And I know that, um, our hearts really weren't meant for that. Like we weren't meant to have YouTube or um, news all over the world, like every catastrophe in the world sort of on our heart as if it were our job, you know, to fix it. Um, you've been doing this work a long time. Just what kind of advice would you give someone that might legitimately be feeling some, they're doing the work, like they're trying and they're just like, it's not, an, I can't do enough. I don't know. And I'm just exhausted. That's like one type of person or maybe another that's like, I'm just not even going to do it. I'm not even going to try because there's too much of it. And I'm just going to focus on my own stuff. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll shotgun it and just throw out a bunch of bits and maybe some of them are helpful. Um, but what you're talking about, the first thing I'd say is what you're talking about is absolutely real. And anybody experiencing compassion fatigue, um, be kind to yourself. It's real. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as an empath, uh, and a lot of people that work in justice work are empaths, very empathic, but maybe even all the way to the extreme of an empath. Uh, and there's, there's a- Can you explain what that, what empath is real quick? You don't have, you have a very permeable boundary. So you feel okay. yeah. other people's pain uh, yeah. or, or what's going on with other people to a very high degree. Uh, and um, <clears throat> there's such thing as secondary trauma. So your mind can separate out that I'm not experiencing this injustice uh, or, or this pain, let's say Gaza, Um uh, your mind can separate out and go, it's happening to the Gazans. It's not happening to me. But if you know people in Gaza and if you're really following along and, and, and keeping up with, with that pain, your body doesn't know that it's mm. not your, um, and so second, it's secondary trauma. I'm not experiencing the trauma, but my body is, is being buffeted by that trauma. Um, and that, that is a significant thing. And, and given enough time, it can lead to anxiety, panic attacks, depression, et cetera, just as if you were being traumatized yourself. Um, and I know plenty of people in this, in the justice spaces, nonprofit spaces uh, that all of a sudden were having panic attacks and had no idea why. Right. Mm. Um, so you, you have to take care of yourself because our bodies, uh, it's not a infinitely renewable resource. Yeah, it's good. And, and so Sabbath is is you know as a bit. We could get into the scriptural things that are supposed to keep us, I think, grounded. But but we need to pay attention to that. Philosophically, I think what you are articulating is something I've been wrestling a lot with, which is uh, we have the omniscience of God. God mm -hmm. knows everything, and the omnipotence of God. God is all powerful, right? And He's the supreme being in in that. Um, what has happened with the internet and then social media is within a two hour span, I can drop into totally. every major traumatic situation going on in the world. I can bounce from Ukraine to Gaza, to the inner city, uh, to the homeless in Portland, to 
sexual violence. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like I can, I can in a two hour period, make myself aware with pictures, um, the, the reality of, of trauma, people dying uh, in the world, being abused in the world. So what it, what it does is internet, social media, everything else has given me a piece of the omniscience of God without the corresponding power, yeah. um, omnipotence uh, of God. So it has created this weird dynamic where I have a part of what it means to know all things at all times without the corresponding ability to manage that or handle that. Um, and that's why young people, mental health wise, I mean, this is one of the reason young people mental health wise are, are just blasted out uh, and the numbers are going haywire and you've got Congress dr drilling into the, the big tech companies uh, and social media companies. Yeah. Um, but because we we don't we're not designed to be able to to live in this imbalance. Um, so when I when you ask about compassion fatigue, it's uh, it's a very real thing, and I think it needs to be monitored. And I think we need sabbaths from it. Um, I also think compassion fatigue shows up most in suburban American Christians. And the way I talked about it in an article once was if you live where the trauma is, it is your story. Uh, it is your life. It's your friend's life. You guys are in it together. There's solidarity. There's pain, but there's also solidarity. There's trauma, but there's also trauma bonding. Um, and it's awful, but it's you're in it and it's your story. Um, whereas a suburban Christian that, that just... Uh, hears about an issue, takes on a cause, joins a nonprofit, whatever. Yeah, not their. It's not their life. It's not their story. It's not what they do during their day. It, it, the people that they know aren't aren't involved in it. So what I liken it to is is like a commute, and you know a little bit about this. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's a commute where you have mm -hmm. to go from where you are to where say the the cause is. Yeah, and, and over time that commute like any commute wears you out right mm. so if you live in the outskirts of la and you're driving back and forth in that traffic every day you burn out on it right and when you're having to to step out of your your normal flow or life to go um, be compassionate and then commute back mm. uh, and you're not really in the community that that's forming the trauma bonds you're not you know, all the people in your life, family, friends, aren't there with you doing it. Um, it's a choice, which means you're always dealing with this tension of maybe I should just not choose to commute in today, or maybe I should stay in bed, you know, yeah, like we would do with any commute. Uh, so I, I begin to liken compassion fatigue to kind of like a burnout um, with a commute. Um and and so I think knowing those things up front and saying it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, hopefully, we're past the days when Christians watch the movie Taken um, and and just immediately overreact and and go all in on something, but without thinking through how do I sustain this? Um, and am I being called into this? Like, yeah. is, is this actually? You know, God, is this how you want me to serve you, your will with my life? Um, so, yeah, I think pastors would be good if or leaders would be good if we're able to coach people through the psychology of compassion, um, the psychology of justice, uh, the psychology of, of capacity, human capacity, and that God only asks of us what we can do. Mm. Um, and, and, and then just kind of figure out where do we fit in that? Um, and, and getting, certainly getting away from, from, um, again, the white savior or hero kind of phrases, like we're going to end slavery in, in our generation, mm. you know, I'm gonna, you know, like triumphant kind of declarations I think are, are incredibly unhelpful. Um, but yeah. I mean that's that's quite a few different thoughts there. Yeah. I think raising your kids to uh not be individualistic and to normalize being around people um that are different from them, I think sets them up 
to be able to sustain better uh, when they get older. So there's even a parenting aspect, I think, to this. Um, but yeah, it, we're in uncharted territories in the history of the world with AI coming on. Mm. I mean, it, you know, if we talk again in two years, there's a whole new set of topics uh, that we're going to be engaging. Um, and I, you know, I think being measured and gracious with ourselves that uh, we're not going to always have the final word, the last word, the best answer, but we're in process. Uh, we're sojourning and doing the best we can uh, as we walk through this life, uh, I think is is helpful to to keep us from um, overdoing it, yeah, burning out, and then and then coming all the way back to square one, you know. So hopefully, going in a measured way. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, that's super helpful. Let me get you out of here on this. Um, I don't know if it's the only thing you're doing now, but I, I like how you've you know you've you've done a lot and you've 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 settled in. Your pace is different now. Uh, tell us about the the passage immigration law, um, religious workers visa that you're you're doing that you're working on. Um, just tell us what that is, and if there's ways you know listeners can just kind of help spread the word on that, maybe to their pastors or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, so immigration. I just spoke on it this past Sunday. Uh, you know, I asked the congregation, you know, how many of them were born in the town where we were meeting. And not a single hand went up, you know. So the reality is we're all migrants. Everybody mm -hmm. migrates, um, period. Immigration just means you're going across an international border, um, but uh, you're migrating across an international border. But we we all migrate and we have reasons for doing it. Uh, we're in a, a challenging situation and we're going to try and go to what we think is a better situation. Um, and so what's going on, say, with the, the border, the southern border or Central America, South America, and um, these migrant chains or, or kind of people coming to try and get into the United States. Um, I'm not the policy expert. I don't claim to be. I, I, I'm not called to it. I'm glad I'm not because it's a mess. We haven't updated our, our we haven't really updated our immigration laws since before the Internet, uh, be since before Al Gore invented the Internet. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's just a broken system. Right. So as Christians, the one thing that I do know is that we're supposed to have compassion for those individuals. Um, they're doing exactly what we do and what we would do, especially if the countries we were living in uh, were were dangerous enough that it puts our kids lives at risk so much so that we would hazard a thousand mile track uh, where we're incredibly vulnerable uh, and where our kids are going to be incredibly vulnerable to being trafficked and everything else. Uh, we're going to hazard that because the situation at home is so bad. Why is the situation at home so bad? Because Americans do drugs <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and there are cartels that supply the drugs for Americans. Uh, and every time we seem to shut down supply routes uh, or, or distribution channels, uh, those supply routes shift to a new country uh, or a neighboring country. Um, so it used to be planes flying through islands up into, you know, from Colombia up into Florida. And when we shut that down, then Honduras became the, the launching point um, and quickly became the murder capital of the world. Now it's sliding over to Ecuador. I, I mean, um, we are not separate from the issues that are causing um, the, the pain and the challenge in these people's lives, we are, as Americans, connected to those issues. And so we need to have compassion. Um, and there are ways for people to come into the United States. Uh, and the legal system is backed up. Um, right now, it is just, uh, I don't even know the word, the adjective for how backed up it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there are nonprofit organizations that exist to help uh, immigrants, uh, documented, undocumented, in process, asylum seekers. There are for-profit um, law firms uh, that that make this their calling. Um, and some of those are predatory, and some of those are actually run by by religious folk, Christians or other, um, that are actually going, I want to use my law degree to make a difference in people's lives. Um, Passage Immigration is in Portland, uh, but other places as well. You can look them up online. Um, there are a lot of other resources. CCDA, um, Christian Community Development Association, 
uh, would have probably access to, to the greatest number of nonprofit services uh, for immigrants. Um, but yeah, just having compassion and being able to say there are people in my neighborhood that um, that aren't getting access to legal counsel um, because of cost or because of just how backed up the system is. Um, and and they're vulnerable. And yeah. if I was in that vulnerable position, I would want somebody to care and maybe connect me with some resources as well. So um, just a plug to, to say, um, like Mother Teresa said, uh, if we have no peace, it's, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to one another. Um, and mm. so uh, seeing the other as not being distinct from, but somehow connected to me and my story, uh, I think is a huge part of that. Dude, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for your, your faithfulness over the years and your, your journey. And I'm, I'm encouraged and inspired by what I see God doing in you, the changes he's making in you, whether you wanted them or not, he's doing them. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, Man, this has been really good to catch up. And um, I'm still live, still recording here. I'm thinking of several friends of mine that I'm going to send this to that I know like your story just connects with their story. And uh, man, just thank you. Thanks for thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming on, sharing publicly. We really appreciate it, Ken. Yeah, we'll do it again in nine years. <laughs> That's right. We'll do it for my last podcast ever, ever. Sounds <laughs> good. Sounds good, man. We won't even have to do it. We'll just tell AI to, to do it for us. <laughs> That'll be great when I don't have, I can just have AI do all my podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's good seeing you, man. Uh, good talking to you. All right, we are back. And I hope you really in, enjoyed that. I hope you really appreciated it. Hope it gives you some things to think about and meditate on and um, to... to yeah, I think everyone's coming from a different place, you know, when it comes to justice. For me, I, I, I'm in that camp of compassion fatigue, uh, both with the things I'm able to support globally, locally, and the things I'm trying to do locally on the ground, the things I'm trying to get up off the ground. And um, I really appreciate getting wisdom from people like Ken that have been in the game a long time. Uh, doing this type of work. And so really, really helpful uh, conversation today. If you are not someone who's currently doing justice, if you're not currently pursuing justice, if that's not part of your theology, uh, I'd encourage you to check out Ken's book, Pursuing Justice. I think it does a great job of laying out a very biblical theology uh, of justice. And if you're already on board with justice uh, and you like this conversation with Ken, pick up another one of his books. They're all very good, uh, very helpful. Uh, he's got he's got a whole bunch of good ones out there and just encourage you to pick that up to, to um, support him and uh, just to glean some of his wisdom. You can also check Ken out at kenwhitesma.com. That's uh, W-Y-T-S-M-A. A. So another big thanks to Ken for coming on to the show and a big thanks to you for listening, for watching. If you're watching uh, on YouTube, I uh, just really appreciate it. And again, I won't repeat the whole intro, but if you're able to support uh, the podcast, patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak, uh, your support goes a long way. If this podcast is helpful in your life. Uh, and you're able to support it. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time on The Flip Side. The Flip Side with Noah Philippiak is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. When I finish, then it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever